wonderful gospel-ish, gospel-ish ballad, Comfort Me. And I'll call out the verses as you go, the different words. Pray with me. Stay with me. Comfort me. beautiful. Our next song is number 1010, also in the turquoise hymnal, Oh, We Give Thanks for This Precious Day.
Thank you. Now we're going to jump back a couple decades into the gray hymnal, number 354. This is an old, old favorite UU hymn by Shelley Jackson Denham. We laugh, we cry. And we're just going to sing verse 1 and then skip to verse 3 and 4. We're going to skip verse 2. Jumping to verse 3. They will live. 
I invite you to rise and body your spirit for the call to worship, and the choir's going to sing one more song. You'll pick up the words, Bright Morning Star. Just follow along. Bright morning star, rise and bright morning star, rise and bright morning star, rise and day's breaking in my soul. Rise up from morning slumber, 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 day's breaking in my soul. Rise up and hear your calling. 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 Day is breaking in my soul. Oh, lift your voice to heaven. 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 How will we bless the world? And what blessings do we need today? Generosity will answer both questions. And as we light this chalice, with its freely shared light and freely shared warmth, let us be reminded of the many things that are freely shared with us and that we freely share with others. May we lean into generosity shared from the heart that can warm those around us. The words of Reverend Michelle Collins. So for our opening song, we're gonna do a little collaboration between the congregation and the choir. If you would grab your gray hymnal again and open to 123, Spirit of Life. Before we sing the whole song of Spirit of Life, you're going to become an ostinato, which is a repeating pattern. So we're going to sing the first phrase, spirit of life, come unto me. And then I'm going to ask you to just, whatever note you ended on on that phrase, just start humming and breathe whenever you need to. And the choir is going to sing all my memories of love on top of that. Then we'll sing spirit of life, come unto me and hum. We'll sing another verse up here. We'll do that three times and then finally we'll sing the entirety of spirit of life all together. So your job is to sing that first phrase and then just become a, a, like a pipe organ holding that note. Breathe when you need to and come back in.
Everyone, whether you are new or a longtime member, congratulations, you've made it on the right time, too. We welcome you to our worship and celebration today. We are a large congregation, but we maintain our friendly human scale through our many small groups where you can easily get to know others who share your interests and your values. Even in this large sanctuary setting, we are a welcoming bunch of folks. Looking around the sanctuary, we can see some friendly faces. Take a look around. See some friendly faces? Yes. It's okay to smile at them, whether near or across the room. It feels good to appreciate one another, doesn't it? My name is John Eldridge. I will be your worship leader this morning. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm a cisgender male. Everyone, regardless of their identities or intersectionalities, are welcome here at First Unitarian. Feel free to ask me about anything related to our worship or any announcements after the service, and I'll either answer your question or find the person who can answer your question. We bring our whole selves into this moment, mind, body, and spirit, our whole selves, love for who we are. Come, let us worship together. I'm Mia Noren, I'm the Director of Religious Education, so I'm going to give you a little education and then I'm going to tell you a story. The seventh principle of our covenant with the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association says, we covenant to affirm and promote respect for the independent web of all existence of which we are a part. That's our seventh principle. One of the core values stated in the Article II proposal is interdependence. We honor the interdependent web of all existence. We covenant to cherish the earth and all beings by creating and nurturing relationships of care and respect. With humility and reverence, we acknowledge our place in the great web of life, and we work to repair harm and damaged relationships. I'm so looking forward to exploring the Article II proposal, but for today, I want to tell you a story of hope and a story about the web. Did you ever think about the web of all existence of which we are a part extending through time? My story is adapted from The Invisible Web by Patrice Karst. The news has begun to spread all over the world, one heart at a time. Every single one of us is connected to those we love by invisible strings. That means Giovanna and her daddy are always together even though he moved to a new house. Omar can feel the tugs of love from his parents even though he's living far away at school. Mr. Chang still feels Mrs. Chang close by even though she died such a long time ago. And you, at this very moment, may feel the string of someone close to you, even though they aren't here. You can't see it, but it's real. Our strings reach everyone we know. They travel far and wide to families and friends 
classmates, coaches, bus drivers, babysitters, our neighbors and our pets, aunts, uncles and grandparents, grandchildren, and countless other people. All of us have hundreds of strings soaring high over rocky peaks and across the seven seas, deep into jungles and valleys and winding through the busiest of cities. All these strings crisscross one another and create a web that covers the planet, interlacing us together, cradling us forever. The web has no borders and wraps every continent. Within it live butterflies and flowers, starfish and seahorses, lions and ants, rivers and snowstorms, and all human beings. Giovanna, Omar, and Mr. Chang, and of course, you and me. Some say it even reaches our ancestors and those we cherish in the beyond. One tug on the string sends love to every one of us, woven together in this divine tapestry. And that means just one good deed travels across the entire web. Everything is linked. But sometimes folks forget. When they can't feel their strings, they forget about our invisible web. And that's when strings get tangled up like when Luisa isn't invited to sit with anyone at lunchtime, or when Stefano wishes his friend Marcos wasn't so bossy when they played together, or when Mrs. Patel struggles at work without help and she just wants to quit. Even violence and war can erupt when too many of us forget about the web. When strings are ignored, they can become weak and begin to unravel but the more people who care for the web, who work to repair it, the stronger it remains. The web feels like every parent since the beginning of time, holding and protecting us in millions of gentle arms. What could be stronger than all those arms holding us close? So many supportive hands can always find a way to untangle strings so that love can flow again. But it's up to every one of us to spread the word and our time is right now. As we tell our family and friends, sisters will remind brothers who will write to cousins, who will call their great grandparents, who will just nod and smile as if they have always known. Of course they have always known. If we remember the web and tug at it often, nobody will ever be left out. We will see others more clearly. The people of the world will look into each other's eyes. They will smile at one another. And when one of them cries, we will all want to help. And they do. Marcos apologizes to his friend and they have even more fun playing together. Someone helps Mrs. Patel at work and tells her what a great job she's doing and she remembers that she's important and she feels happy. Louisa feels warm and bubbly inside when a few of the kids in class ask her to join them 
under the banyan tree for lunch. She knows right then that the invisible web is real. After school, Louisa cries with joy as she strokes her cat, who purrs the news to the stars. And the stars whisper the joy to the clouds, who share it with the songbirds, who serenade the world with this exquisite melody of love at the start of each morning, all during the day, and until as the invisible web glitters in the ma magic of twilight, the owls take over and hoot the news throughout the, throughout the night. The invisible web is alive and its time is right now. It breathes as we breathe, pulsating all over our earth, a single heartbeat of life and love. And do you know what that makes us all? One very big family. The end. This has been the week of Halloween and Dia de los Muertos, Day of the Dead, a time when fall tips towards winter, time for celebration and costumes, and a time in the pagan tradition of Samhain, a time when the veil become, between the living and the dead becomes thinner. And those who have passed, their ongoing presence in our lives is acknowledged. Each of our lives has been shaped by people who are now gone. All of us, if we live long enough, will lose someone we love and we will carry their memory in our hearts. In this way, those who have died are still with us. They form a great invisible crowd of witnesses, a spirit congregation, if you will, around us. When the music begins, you're invited, invited to come through the aisles and light a candle for those who have passed. If coming forward is not possible for you, there are two ways you can still participate by thinking of the, your loved ones when the first candle is lit, or by raising your hand when you see one of us looking about the room. And we'll make eye contact with you and light a candle on your behalf. Let us begin.
Thank you.
in this celebration of memory, we all carry people that we feel but no longer see. So at the sound of the chime, you're invited to speak their names into our shared sanctuary. In addition to all these, we lift up Carol Emerson, whose brother Bill passed on Tuesday. May she feel the support of this congregation as she grieves. And we pray for Bachapotos, wife of Kodo Simpson, who was badly hurt in a car accident this week. May Bacha find healing and comfort. We also lift up Bobby Jones, who's undergoing a health challenge. May he feel the support of this congregation in his journey towards health. All these we lift up to the great powers of healing and renewal known by many names. Can we join our hearts in prayer? We mourn with all who are all those who are impacted by war. May peace come soon, soon, soon. We remember Dorothy Day, the founder of the Catholic Worker Movement who was born November 8th, 1897. May her example of activism inspired by faith continue to spur us to serve. And we give thanks for this upcoming election day when we get to put our Unitarian Universalist commitment to democracy, that process into action. May we never take it for granted. And may we put love at the center of everything that we do. Peace be with you. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go. So now how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in the white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore, only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out to the day to gaze at bread, 
only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. I'd like to tell you a story written by Reverend Gretchen Haley, who serves our sister congregation, Foothills UU in Fort Collins, Colorado. It's entitled, The Story Goes. The story goes that once there was a wise woman who traveled all through the mountains. And one day she found a precious stone in a stream. She was so happy and grateful, it could change her life. The next day, she met a man traveling just like her through the mountains. He was hungry, and she was happy to share her food. But as she opened her bag, the man saw the stone. He knew that with this stone, he could eat all his favorite foods. His mouth watered, imagining all the incredible flavors, all the ways that his life would be filled with so much goodness. Actually, he said, Instead of the food, can I have that stone? The woman looked at him and said, of course. And just like that, it was his. The man was so happy. He ran quickly away, afraid that she would change her mind. However, a few days later, the man appeared again, carrying the stone in his hands. Take it back he said. Instead, he continued, I hope that you can give me something even more precious than this precious stone. I hope that you can give me whatever it is that is, in with it, that is within you that made it so easy for you when I asked to just give it away. It's the end of the story. We can give a name to that thing that is within the woman, its generosity of spirit. Naming it is the easy part. What's harder is knowing how to get that generosity of spirit. There's the theory that we see in Naomi Shihab Nye's poem that we just heard. It's the idea that kindness or generosity of spirit is the result of having some pain in our lives. And she writes, before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must wake up with sorrow. The problem is, we all also know plenty of people who experience sorrow, and instead of becoming generous, they turn bitter, wishing their misery on everyone else. It's confusing to me. I see people who have historically targeted identities supporting policies that make their lives harder, that diminish their value. And I'll admit it's hard for me to understand, much less have compassion for folks who make those decisions, but there's the work, I guess. There's the work. There's a ton of other practices that are thought to encourage generosity, but I'm here today to talk about one that seems to be gaining a lot of popularity these days. 
And that is using psychedelic drugs to promote spiritual experiences. Uh, it might be a good time to mention this is, prob this is not your grandfather's church. <laughs> no. no shade to our grandfathers. Love ours deeply. And here we are. Uh, anyways, using psychedelic drugs to promote spiritual experiences. And now I imagine there are people among us who are resisting the urge to yell, hey, Reverend Bob, have you heard of the 60s? <laughs> of course I've heard about the 60s. That's when Paul McCartney was in that band before he was in Wings. Is it called like the Insects or something? I don't know. 60s baby here. There's a great book, which is a good place to start if someone would like to learn the history of psychedelics. It's called How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. You may have heard of his other books, like The Omnivore's Dilemma or the, Beauty of the Botany of Desire. In How to Change Your Mind, he talks about how research using psychotropics in the 60s quickly became conflated with anti-government and anti-establishment factions. So because of this and because of some really irresponsible and unethical experiments, these substances were labeled as the same kind of dangerous drugs as heroin and cocaine. So almost all further research was banned and whatever beneficial potential the psychedelics had was ignored until just recently. And as a side, whenever I think about the war on drugs, I remember this bit of dark humor. In the war on drugs, the drugs won. Before the bans happened though, there was the Marsh Chapel experiment. So on Good Friday, 1962, 20 men were brought together in a small chapel in the basement of Marsh Chapel, which is a big building. I'm part of uh, Boston University. That's actually where I got my MBA. And while a Good Friday service was going on upstairs with the organ, the singing, and the amazing Reverend Howard Thurman was preaching, 10 of those men in the basement were given psilocybin, which is the active ingredient for ma uh, magic mushrooms, and 10 were given a placido. And these were all undergraduate theology students who were studying in the Boston area. So the students who had been dosed with mushrooms all reported typical experiences of euphoria and colors and expanded awareness. They wandered around the chapel saying things like, God is everywhere. And oh, the glory. It could be said that they had religious experiences. And it's also interesting to note that nine of the 10 students who were dosed with the active drugs became clergy, and none of the 10 who received the placebo became clergy. <laughs> that is a tiny sample, so draw your own conclusions, <laughs> and perhaps even keep a healthy skepticism. But that was one of the last experiments. It was actually by um, uh, Timothy, help me out here. Yes, Timothy Leary, uh, uh, but it was one of the last experiments that was done before the drugs were banned. Timothy Leary was a professor at Harvard. Since then, many drugs have emerged as potential sources of healing for a whole lot of ailments, depression, PTSD, substance abuse disorder, anxiety. And these psychedelic drugs and their kin are becoming commonplace. Ketamine therapy is available in Albuquerque. 
There is a Unitarian Universalist minister in Colorado, a good friend of mine, who is also a psychedelic therapist. That's a thing now, psychedelic therapist. And she works with ketamine as well as psilocybin and cannabis. And there's an Episcopalian priest who is aptly named Reverend Hunt Priest. Reverend Priest, <laughs> seems redundant. But after his personal experience with psychedelics, he founded an organization called Ligare, which is based on the Latin root of the word religion. The group brings people together for direct experiences of the sacred using these psychedelic substances, but within the context of Christian contemplative tradition. And and not too long ago, I personally had a supervised therapeutic session using the drug MDMA. Again, this is not your grandfather's church, which is also known as Molly or ecstasy. MDMA is the drug that is closest to getting approved by the FDA in clinical trials as a authorized treatment for PTSD. And as I understand it, but I'm not a scientist, the drug inhibits the activity of the limbic or rectile brain that contains the fight or flight function. It doesn't really cause hallucinations, but it does increase empathy and feelings of closeness. So my experience was pleasant, but frankly mild. I did feel a generalized goodwill towards all of humanity, all of humanity. That was a nice heart-opening experience. And I did feel peace in the absence of anxiety. And the person who was my guide, who sat and watched me on a couch for six hours, what a job, that person is also my therapist. So we had months of relationship building before this. And I did feel more forthcoming than I am usually in regular therapy. Uh, and it allowed us to move to the heart of the issues more quickly. And I also felt less defensive, more ready to hear her advice. It was a useful time. Now, other people who tried these kinds of therapies will report different experiences some much more profound, some unpleasant. Your mileage may vary. So, so are these, here's a question I've been asking myself as a, as a Rev. Are these drugs a shortcut to spirituality? Will us ministers be put out of business when folks start taking, doing psychedelic therapy? Like, is this it, you know? Am I, am I selling buggy whips in the time of the, the Model T, you know? I, I don't think so. For one thing, there are a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons and things that a person wants to think about before seeking psychedelic therapy. First of all, in most places and situations, these drugs are still illegal. So any potential user will have to check their own comfort with breaking the law. And people who are already using other kinds of medications, especially SSRIs, which are antidepressants, they should get the advice of a medical professional who's familiar with these kinds of interactions before trying these therapies. Consult a doctor for sure. And it has become a kind of conventional wisdom that these hallucinogenic drugs are not addictive, that are not addictive, but that is not 100% the case. And as someone who has tendencies in this direction, I wanna strongly encourage potential users to not underestimate the seduction of abusing these drugs. Don't underestimate that. In the 1970s, researchers saw MDMA as a treatment that would be limited. 
That is, as they would say, once you got the message, you could hang up the phone. All it took was one call in their mind. Repeated use, at least with MDMA, yields less benefit. And anyone thinking about doing these therapies should also check themselves on several fronts. First, do they feel pressured to do it for any reason? That's a bad reason to do it. Second, do they have unhealthy or unrealistic expectations of what they might accomplish? I think that's especially the case if there haven't been any prior attempts at therapy, conventional therapy. Like I mentioned, my experience was much more powerful because it was with a therapist who I knew and trusted, who knew my issues. That prior therapy laid the foundation for some real growth in that session. And finally, anyone who does these therapies should understand the health risks. I think it's helpful to discuss these risks with a credible person who is not the person who's administering the drug. You can pay people to sit with you on trips and they may or may not be biased or unbiased about how the drug may impact you. So uh, I wanna share, like, at least between 1977 and 1981, at least eight people died after taking MDMA. Now, that's eight people in four years. For context, nearly 90,000 people die each year from excess, excessive consumption of alcohol. Nearly 500,000 people die from each year from smoking cigarettes. But still, with MDMA, there's a danger of becoming overheated or dehydrated. And that's why it's critical to do these therapies with a trained guide. I also want to say, if anyone who is listening to this is a teenager who's thinking about trying psychedelics, please don't. Please don't do that. And if you are still intent on doing it regardless, please reach out to me. I won't judge you. I promise I won't. I won't lecture you. But I will give you advice, some good advice that will keep you safe and hopefully having a better experience. I made all the mistakes as a teenager so you don't have to. <laughs> so I think your first impulse should be to wait and if you can't wait, send me a text. It's really okay. Judgment-free zone. More broadly, I have concerns about the impact of capitalism on these therapies. It appears that under psychedelic capitalism, there's a rush to legalize all these drugs without thorough research. The research is definitely incomplete. The ones I see, they're public, when they're published, it always comes with these disclaimers like, it's early in the research. The study is still under review. The sample size was not very small, it was, it was very small, but not very diverse. We don't understand how this works, but it seems promising. This is not much to go on when making a decision. And we know capitalism has a way of sidestepping the common good when there's money to be made. But before we reject this idea entirely, let us remember that people have been using altered states of consciousness to deepen their spirituality as long as there's been a thing called spirituality. People will fast, they'll be alone for extended amounts of time, they'll hyperventilate or meditate or chant or whirl if they're Sufis, all with the goal of increasing their awareness of and connection to the divine, the holy. Now I suspect that a lot of us don't want to use psychedelic therapy to deepen our generosity of spirit. And that's fine because I think there's plenty of other ways to do that. Here's a few. First, I can't say enough about therapy. Can I get an amen for therapy? <laughs> 
Therapy helps us get past old wounds that might be making us feel less generous. Highly recommend therapy. Yay, therapy. Second, we start to feel more generous when we understand the places where we cling to things or what's known as having attachments. And when we understand the things that we resist, which is also known as aversion. aversion. Hello, Buddhism. That's kind of the thimble lesson there. So highly recommend that practice as a way to open the heart, make, make yourself more generous. I'm also a believer in the regular practice of noticing what we have and being grateful for it. This moves us from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. And what really helps with that is surrounding ourselves with generous people. And fortunately, that is easy to do at First Unitarian here. This place, there's a lot of folks who have cracked the code on generosity of spirit. Not everyone, maybe not necessarily me, but that's fine because we're all works in progress. But there are a lot of folks here who can do the kind of role modeling and maybe offer gentle peer pressure, and that can have real impacts. So seek those people out if you can. And finally, and probably most importantly, just starting to practice generosity of spirit. Practice it even if it feels counterintuitive. Consider the possibility that the person you're having an argument with has a valid point. Give away something that you love and no longer use. Listen. Listen longer than you thought you could possibly endure to someone who is lonely who is talking about themselves. Attention, generosity. Generosity of spirit is a muscle, and with lack of use, it atrophies. With use and conditioning, it gets stronger and stronger until generosity is no longer a decision or a choice, but a habit. I want to finish with a word from the Celtic mystic John O'Donohue. There is a lovely idea in the Celtic tradition that if you send out goodness from yourself, or if you share that which is happy or good within you, it will all come back to you multiplied 10,000 times. In the kingdom of love, there is no competition. There is no possessiveness. There is no control. The more love you give away, the more love you have. May it be so. In a moment, we will take the offering. The ancient Greek philosopher Epicurus once said about 2,500 years ago, do not spoil what you have by desiring what you have not. Remember that what you now have once was among the things you only hoped for. Our Change for the Future partner is Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. Their mission is to stop violence against Native women in New Mexico's tribal communities. With your love and support, our church will continue to pursue our compassionate values. We will now gratefully receive the offering.
I could just get lost in this, <laughs> in, the, in turning on this mic, but also the music. Thank you. Thank you, Chalice Choir and Susan, Nisha, Becky. Thank you so much. Thank you for your generosity of spirit. Thank you on behalf of this church and the coalition. While we're talking about generosity, we're uh, continuing our annual operating pledge drive. We have about $660,000 in pledges. We're about two-thirds of the way there. If you haven't pledged yet, we'd love to hear from you. I'm excited to share some statistics with you from our Food Pantry's October activity. Active volunteers this month, 30 people, thank you. Food bags distributed, 510. Children served, 241. Adults, 19 to 59 years old, 403. And senior citizens, 60 years old and older, served, 198. Yeah. That's about a thousand people. That's about a thousand people who got to eat. <clears throat> nice work. So every year at this time, we come together to honor those people whose names have been placed on our memorial wall or whose ashes are interred in the wall. And these are people whose lives were lived in part within the caring arms of this congregation. So we're holding a service this afternoon, a short service after the service that's happening at 12.15. Our minister, Emeriti, uh, Christine Robinson, will be leading the service in the Memorial Garden, 1215. Everyone is welcome. The Memorial Garden is through Memorial Hall to the other side. So please join us for that very touching service. The Connie Mollick Memorial will be at 3 p.m. this Saturday, November 11th. Connie wanted a dessert bar for her memorial reception. <laughs> Gave me an idea. Please see Lara Magnuson after the service if you can bring a contribution. And, um, and I'm sorry to say that we have snacks, but not coffee or cocoa after the service today. I know coffee is a sacrament for UU, so this is a big loss. Uh, we didn't have enough volunteers. So if you're interested in volunteering, maybe you and your kids, maybe you want to bring a small group and that you'd like to have join us. It's kind of fun to do, actually, and you're really making people happy. So talk to Lara Magnuson, our Director of Congregational Life, about serving there, too. See it as sort of a form of being a worship leader, but on a smaller scale, the sacrament. Uh, you have the opportunity today to meet with the board, and you can do that in the library after the service down the hall. Great. And our discussion question today for folks who want to ponder the, the service or the sermon is, what makes you feel generous? What makes you feel generous? something to mull on or maybe talk over dinner. And uh, if anyone's here for the first or second time and is feeling comfortable, if they want to put their hand up so we can give you a warm welcome. Yay! Thank you. Right on. Thanks for putting your hand up. A lot of us are introverts, so we really know what it's like to put your hand up in the middle of a crowded room. But we're so glad you're here. There's a welcome table you can check out up front, or if you just rather bypass that, that's fine too. We don't really care how you participate. Just come back again, because no two Sundays are the same. So I invite everyone to rise and body your spirit for our peace greeting. One hand on our hearts, other hand reached out to our companions on the journey, on this journey of life, sending peace to each other. Blessed be and please remain standing.
grab that turquoise hymnal again, open to number 1001. It's the second song in the book, Breaths. We actually sang this at the beginning of October. Um, it's a wonderful song by Sweet Honey in the Rock, written by Isai Barnwell. So we're going to do a slightly elongated um, intro with the choir building up some, some wonderful vocal patterns, and then I'll turn around and bring you guys in. in peace. 
and place love, <clears throat> love at the center of everything that you do.